Hello, and welcome to You Just Got Homeschooled. I'm RJ, and today I want to talk a little bit about whether or not we should protect our kids. Um, and obviously the, the answer to that is yes, we should protect our kids. That is part of the, the God-given responsibility of being a parent. Um, but I, I guess where I'm going with this is in what ways or what does that look like played out? And what kind of prompted this was um, I was with my family at an event for part of you know, the co-op that we're, we, are, we participate in. And one of the other teachers or one of the other parents who also teaches a class at our co-op um, had prepped a bunch of material for um, a class that she was teaching. It was a literature class, and she had chosen some books that she felt were age-appropriate. Um, and then she got some feedback from some other parents. And um, when they you know, signed up for the class, and they said, oh, we don't want our kids reading this book. And their reasoning, at least the way that it was described to me, there was a couple of different things. One of them was there was a book that um, talked about witchcraft or magic. I think it was magic. Um, and their family's personal beliefs or, or family beliefs was that, that magic is a real thing and it should not be ever presented in a positive light, which I can understand from some degree or another. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And then the other one, which is the one that really kind of caught my imagination or just made me go, you know, kind of turn my head, cock my head a little bit and go like, what was there was a scene that, um, in one of the books that apparently had some sort of sexual component. And, and from what I understand, it was not a positive experience. It was actually kind of a negative, what we'd probably consider criminal. Um, but it was also like not a very graphic one. It was enough that you knew what was happening, but not enough that um, it was, there wasn't any detail involved. And um, the parents were like, I don't want my kid exposed to that. And I understand that. Like no one wants their kid exposed to that to some degree. Or at least I would imagine they don't want their kids exposed to that. I don't want my, my 10-year-old exposed to that um, at all. But at the same time, it made me think, well, at what point is it okay? Because we live in a world that is hopefully a real one. And I have seen firsthand as a student, especially at the college level, and as a teacher at the high school level, what happens when kids get isolated into a bubble. And they don't have interaction with the rest of the world. Especially those things that are a little bit um, harder or more difficult to, to process. So, for example, um, my experience, I went to a, a small Christian school for college, and that was my first time outside of a public school experience. And it was weird, and I actually kind of had this weird like crisis of faith almost, um, because for the first time in my life, I didn't have any ground I had to defend. There wasn't a hill that I had to, to defend because no one was pressing in on me. Everyone more or less believed the same thing I did which was nice, but also terrifying at the same time because it let me just be, and I just didn't know what to do with that. But what I did notice was this, is there was a lot of kids, a lot of students like myself, a lot of freshmen, and at being a small private Christian college, there's about three times as many girls as there were guys. Um, what I saw was a lot of kids who were sent to a, a small Christian college to keep them in the bubble they'd been in their entire life. 
And I would love to say that it was just a bubble of, you know, they were protected, but really it was, there was naivete. And, And I distinctly remember there were more piercings in particular, but tattoos as well, more piercings in the first semester then there probably was going to be in the, the, the following, what is it, seven semesters. Um, simply because kids, for the first time, who've lived in their bubble, um, did not have mom or dad right there to watch them all the time. And so they went and got you know, extra ear piercings if they already had ear piercings, nose piercings, tongue piercings, belly button piercings, and all sorts of stuff that I didn't want to see and didn't have an opportunity to see and I'm happy for it. All I know is there was a lot of piercings and quite a few tattoos. And that was a big thing. And there's just a lot of rebellious behavior, a lot of things that you could tell, a lot of conversations where um, they were just, they were trying, they were rebelling. And part of their rebellion was the fact that this was their first time they never had their parents around. Now, conversely, I grew up in a house that was Christian. I mean, I was required to go to church every Sunday. Um, and actually, by the time I graduated from high school, I was actually attending a different church than my parents because they drove an hour to go to church and I went to one in town. And so I would walk to church on, on Sunday mornings because it was that close to my house. And so, but I went to a public school. And so there was no, I mean, as long as I wasn't getting in trouble and my grades weren't failing, there was not a whole lot of pressure as to what I should look like at school. Or I mean, obviously I couldn't like dress, you know, in certain ways leaving the house, but like I could kind of take on whatever persona I wanted. And so I was exposed to a lot of things that I probably would have never have known about if I had not gone to a public school. In fact, what motivated me after my freshman year to move into more academic classes was the fact that I felt um, after my, my six-period English class, my second semester of my freshman year, that I had learned more about drugs and sex and partying, listening to my classmates in that period, than I had learned about English, and I was just not okay with that. So I, I opted for honors and AP classes simply to get out of that milieu. Now, this is where it becomes a little bit interesting to me, because when a, a – and this – I mean, for those of you who, who aren't Christians um, or don't hold to some sort of um, moral value system, it may seem a little bit weird – um, at least not a moral value system that's like based on a, what would be like a conservative or Judeo-Christian worldview. It might sound a little weird, but um, the, these parents getting upset, particularly about the the rape scene in this book, what I thought was interesting is because this, these are junior hires, right? So they're seventh and eighth graders primarily, um, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. So they're somewhere between 11 and 14. And Obviously, I don't want children of that age exposed to that in any sort of um, realistic form or portrayal. But being a Christian, I've read through the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, and that's in there, along with murder and a whole bunch of other things that would generally in that our society, even if you're not don't have a practice a particular kind of faith or hold to a particular kind of um, moralistic belief system that's that's founded outside of your own self, 
there's still this issue of, but it's in there. So if you claim, as I would say that probably most of the people um, in our co-op would claim, that, that the Bible is central, at what age is it okay for a kid to read the Bible? So are, is it okay to, for them to see child sacrifice in the Bible, but not okay for them to read about it in a history book? Is it okay for them to see um, prostitution in the Bible, but not okay for them to read prostitution within boundaries in another book? Um, and so I just kind of, I, I was just kind of taken aback, like, at what point then is it okay? And what are we protecting our kids from? Because the real world has these hard things. The real world has people that are evil. The real world has prostitutes. The real world has um, mass murderers and just individual murderers. The real world has hate and drugs. The real world has alcohol, tattoos, piercings, and sex. It has all these things. And it's not that I want to open the the doors. I don't let my kids watch certain things. I, I turn them off, especially when um, those things that are negative, I view as negative are being portrayed positively, but also when they're just being portrayed neutrally without, their, without a conversation um, being had about them. Or if they're just not developmentally there. I mean, there are some kids who won't get there till they're 15, 16, 17, and other kids that are there at, you know, eight or nine. But I'm just always thinking about that because I kind of lean on the philosophy side and because I'm, I'm trying to walk this out with my own kids. Like, at what, at what point do you then expose them? But when it comes to something like, because I believe that the Bible um, is valuable and is true, I'm never going to tell my kid not to read it because of what's in it. Because the whole point of the reason why it's in there in my estimation is simply because we need to see that these people are human and that we as humans have issues. <laughs> and so there's this, this dual um, movement going on where on one hand you want to protect, you want to take care of, you want to nurture. On the other hand, you want to expose them almost like an inoculation. You want to inoculate them to the real world. Now, it was funny because I was just reading an article yesterday that my wife sent me actually there was a, an open letter from an immunologist, a PhD in immunology, to uh, I think a congressman or something like that. And it was talking about um, vaccinations and the way they work. And what I thought was interesting, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was interesting, but the thing that relates to this is, is simply this. The measles vaccine does not make you immune to the measles for life. So you can have the vaccine and you'll be immune to measles for somewhere, I think they said somewhere between like four and eight years. Um, but most adults don't re-up on their measles vaccine, which means that most adults are then susceptible to measles in theory, even if they've been vaccinated. But if you have gotten the measles, which is historically a childhood illness, if you have gotten the measles, you have permanent immunity. And to liken this to what I was just talking about um, when it comes to protecting our kids, I would rather give my kids some version of permanent right, inoculation, a permanent um, solution than one that can wear off. And 
wearing off is really easy to do when it's just verbs that you repeat or just verbiage that you repeat, a mantra in a sense. If I keep telling them that it's bad, 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 they may parrot that for a while when they're no longer under my authority, when they're no longer under my watch. And so they might get to 18, 19, 20 and keep parroting that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. But if they haven't learned, they haven't reasoned, they haven't thought, they haven't discussed why it's bad, they're far more likely, in my estimation, being, you know, having sat in classrooms, far more likely to try it, to figure out it's not as bad as they were told, and to reject what they were told, and then begin to question other things that they were told simply because that one thing was bad. You can convince a kid, right, especially if you don't raise them up with sugar in their house, that sugar isn't worth it and it isn't good, and that may very well be true, right? You may tell a kid from the time that they're born that anything with sugar in it is going to kill them. But when they find out that sugar is there and it won't kill them and it tastes good, you're going to have a problem. And so and I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest failures um, when we try to overprotect our kids. So obviously we want to protect them, right? I'm not, don't get me wrong in any way, shape, or form. I want to protect our kids. I want to protect my kids. But I want to do so thoughtfully. I want to think, what am I protecting them from? And to what degree do I need to protect them? Obviously, there, it's never called for to um, take a young child and just put them on blast in a sense, like put in front of them all the negative stuff or even negative stuff in one category all at once because it'll overwhelm them. But as they grow, as they mature, as they begin to ask questions, as they begin to become aware, it might be in our best interest as parents, especially as parents that are trying to love and direct our children well, to begin with our knowledge, right, our, our knowledge of who they are, of what they're ready for, to begin to introduce these topics at increasing um, detail, if need be, and increasing conversation on what it is that actually needs to be done or what it is that is actually happening in the world so that we can give them a permanent immunity to those areas of life that um, we're trying to protect them from. Because statistics, although you, know, you can find statistics to support anything, um, I know offhand um, more women that have been abused than I ever would wish would happen, right? And, and that's horrible, but not talking about it doesn't make it go away. In fact, talking about it and opening up, at least you know, within reason, will eventually help purge that, will help change the way that we think and change the way that they think as kids and help them open up. It's just kind of like you can say stranger danger, and that's great, but you need to be careful about, well, how do we categorize a stranger? Because if, if we just say anyone you don't know is a stranger and you shouldn't talk to them ever, all of a sudden you get a child that's fearful. They can't even talk to the cashier at the counter. Instead of teaching them what is a wise, you know, like what's a wise way to approach people you don't know if you have to, or what's a wise way to gauge whether or not someone's safe or not. 
What are the things to look for? How do we do that? And so um, I know it's kind of a heavy topic and I'm, and I'm sorry if it's a downer for you to some degree, um, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you consider and think about you know, what it is that you're teaching your kids and are we just doubling down on telling them not to or telling them to do something um, without explaining why, and especially in the realm of what we're exposing them to um, and why. And so um, be open, be honest, be vulnerable with them, especially if it's stuff that you've experienced personally when they're ready, um, when they're able to handle that and when, and when it becomes up. I mean, if they're not asking the questions, they're probably not ready for the answers. But um, overprotectionism, I think, is, is one of the things that's causing more problems than it's helping. And I've seen it as a teacher and I've seen it as a student um, and it's just not good. Um, most of the time, it just leads to, to problems and rebellion and trouble and anxiety on both sides instead of just, you know, choosing a, a path that says, no, I care enough to engage and I care enough to talk about and I care enough to share and I care enough um, to educate you so that you can make good decisions um, across the board. Right? In, in, in every area of your life, not just those academic ones and not just when it comes time to take some sort of test or assessment. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, hit the buttons, um, do the things, leave a review, go and click the stars if they have those. Please check out our website, youjustgothomeschooled.com and follow us on Instagram. Thanks and have a great day.